Welcome to the Megalithic Marvels podcast. Hey, D. Olson here again, your host and founder of megalithicmarvels.com. Thanks again for joining me on my journey of reconstructing the prehistoric past. So in this episode, I feature highlights of an interview that I previously did with Brian Forster regarding megalithic Peru and the mysterious elongated skulls found there. But before we get into the interview, I want to give you a couple of announcements. So speaking of elongated skulls, I have just released my latest YouTube video called Peru's Seven Strangest Elongated Skulls. And in this video, I take you face to face with some of the strangest humanoid skulls ever discovered as I share many enigmas concerning them. So just search for Megalithic Marvels on YouTube or click the link in the show notes of this podcast to watch the video. And if you liked it, please share the video. Also check out megalithicmarvels.com for articles and information regarding ancient civilizations, megalithic structures, and giants of antiquity and humanoids. If you're into these kind of topics, uh, Megalithic Marvels is for you. And there's a specific article that I previously wrote that has been getting a lot of views lately called The Wormhole of Innismore. And in this article, I investigate what is known as the wormhole or the serpent's lair of Innismore, which is an island off of the coast of uh, Ireland. And the wormhole is basically this massive rectangular shaped pool cut straight from the limestone floor uh, of this island. And upon close observation, it appears to reveal uh, giant cut-like marks indicating that it may not be of natural origin. Uh, So to see these photos, to read this article, just click the link in the show notes to go to megalithicmarvels.com. And then once there, make sure you subscribe uh, via email to the blog so that you never miss a post. Well, let's get to the highlights of my interview that I did a while back with biologist, author, and explorer Brian Forster, who lives in Peru and is one of the foremost experts regarding Peru's megaliths and elongated skulls. Well, I am honored to be talking with Brian Forster today. Brian is an explorer, biologist, and author of many books, including Lost Ancient Technology of Peru and Bolivia. Brian, thanks so much for taking the time to hang out with me today. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Here's Brian giving a brief overview of Cusco's megalithic origins. Okay, well, Cusco, of course, was the capital city of the Inca people, um, dated by conventional standards of being about a thousand years old, but in the Inca core, and Cusco is one of the most beautiful cities in the world, um, there are megalithic elements there, especially walls, which um, fit, the stones fit so tightly together that you can't fit a human hair in the joints. Um, Also, the stone is always very hard stone, it's either granite or basalt, And the Inca were a Bronze Age culture. So the basic thing about cutting stone or shaping stone is the tool has to be harder than the material. The Inca only had bronze tools, and bronze is a lot softer 
than granite and basalt. So that tells us automatically that they couldn't have done some of the construction in Cusco. Correct. And on your website, you have a picture of this Inca Roca wall. And it's amazing. There's one si- uh, stone in there that literally has 10 sides. And um, just talk about that stone real quick. It's amazing to look at. Sure. Well, the, um, the Inca Roca <coughs> wall, which is, there are actually three semi-intact walls. The fourth wall was repaired during Inca times. But um, each stone is a different shape and size. And they fit together, again, with incredible precision. There are no straight lines. Each stone is, it's almost like squishing marshmallows together. And the joinery is not straight like that. There are no, the the stones don't fit together like this. They fit together in curves. So that further complicates whoever it was that did this construction. We've taken many stonemasons to look at it, and they're just dumbfounded. They don't understand how in the 21st century, we could do this work. So that again tells us that the the Inca found the ruins of an abandoned megalithic city, built it with their basically limited skills. Here's Brian talking about the megalithic stones of Sacsayhuaman. Yeah, the the largest stone um, weighs estimated at 125 tons. And again, each stone is a different shape and size. Um, and they did, the archaeologists did, uh, did dig down to see how far down the foundation went. And they found that it goes down 12 feet underground. So that means that this one stone, uh, 17 feet exposed, is 29 feet long. Here's Brian on the oral traditions that state the Inca found Cusco's megaliths when they arrived to the area. Yeah, the Spanish were absolutely blown away by what they saw, especially at Sacsayhuaman, because you have these two, three tiers of construction of, of these massive megalithic blocks, and the quarry is at least three miles away. Um, and so they turned to the Inca and said, did you build this? And the Inca said, no, this was here when we got here. And that tells us that there were profound constructions done before Inca times. That's one thing I love about your research, Brian, is how you're always researching the oral traditions uh, of the people, which, again, we can pull so much from. Here's Brian talking about the Waikiki humanoid on display near Cusco, which features an enormous elongated skull. Tell us about the skeleton, what it's called, and, and what genetic features about it would lead you to believe that it's not just human. Well, the skeleton is called Waiki, which means my, my equal in the Inca language. It was found in a royal cemetery on top of a mountain called Wiracochan, which means the mountain of creation. And um, I've taken many doctors and uh, dentists and nurses and anatomists to see it, and all of them are completely blown away. The major feature is that the head is the size of the torso. So no known disease um, can explain. It was, it was also taken to uh, a clinic, a big medical clinic in Cusco, and examined by seven doctors, and none of them could figure out what it was they were looking at. All of them said, I've never seen anything like this before. 
Here's Brian talking about Napa Huaca, which is a remote mountainous cave featuring precision cut megaliths. Yeah, it's a very obscure place. It took me two years to find it. Um, it's we, we will be climbing about uh, two to three hundred stairs up through Inca terracing, and it's located in a, in a cave. There's a false door, which is this depression about the size of a refrigerator, and then there's also this altar-like thing, and it's super hard stone. Uh, it doesn't look anything like anything the Inca ever did. So nobody can really understand, um, archaeologically speaking, what it is and who made it. But it's, it's, it's almost like being on a Star Trek set. Yeah, that to me is one of the most incredible megalithic sites in Peru. Uh, I mean, just the appearance of this thing looks like a literal ancient machine. Here's Brian talking about the Alante Tambo site. Oyente Tambo is, is one of the biggest of the uh, Inca sites. It's almost as Machu Picchu is bigger, but it's, I think, 600 acres in size. It uh, contains massive Inca period uh, terraces, but then there's a construction on top of the hill, which is a row of six megalithic blocks weighing 60 tons each. And the quarry is the cro- across the valley on top of a mountain. So... Again, it's an example of something that the Inca found when they discovered Oente Tampo. And that's the, that's the basic case is whenever they found something mysterious like this, they would build their constructions around it because they were in awe of whoever it was, <clears throat> excuse me, who had pre- uh, preceded them. Here's Brian talking about Machu Picchu. Well, it's a, it's a great, uh, this will probably be my 61st trip or something, <laughs> but it never... It never loses its appeal because it's, uh, it's of course, world, world uh, known. Um, it's the most famous ancient site in South America. Uh, and the train ride by itself is great because it's an hour and a half and it goes, it goes downhill all the way. So we go from an area which is agricultural with, uh, with trees um, in the highlands of Peru and we descend into the, ju- into the high jungle. So the climate at Machu Picchu is basically like Hawaii. It has the same smell, incredibly full of vegetation. Uh, Then we take a half-hour bus trip that takes us up to the top of the mountain, and that's where we explore the lost city of the Inca for more or less the entire day because it's it's massive in scale. Yeah, it isn't. The, uh, the tour guides, conventional tour guides are not allowed to talk about anything that is not um, approved by Western archaeologists. So that's where I'm out of the box because I don't have to answer to, to anybody. Uh, but what you'll clearly see is that the, the core part, the original part of Machu Picchu, which makes up 5 to 10% of it, is megalithic. And again, the precision of the construction is profound. We'll also see evidence that there was a massive cataclysm that happened there, the same cataclysm that destroyed megalithic Cusco. And then you'll see where the Inca added on top. The difference in construction technique is night and day difference. Here's Brian on the strange elongated skulls of Paracas, Peru. About 40, and I'll, I'll show the difference between 
what head binding or cranial deformation is with ones that appear to have been born with elongated skulls. Uh, so we're likely looking at uh, a subspecies of humanity that died out 2000 years ago. We've done initial DNA testing and so far uh, the haplogroups associated, which is the genetic ancestry of these people, is not Native American. So Native American people will have the haplogroups either A, B, C, or D. That's anybody of Native origin living in Central, South, or North America. But those haplogroups have not shown up in the Paracas. Um, also one which we'll see, which is a baby, um, it was examined much more rigorously uh, by this one geneticist, and he found segments of DNA that don't match anything known to be human. Here's Brian on the Nazca lines. Yeah, well, people try to, try to find one theory that explains the Nazca lines, and none of them, none of the theories work uh, by themselves. So that's why I wrote a book about Nazca, because it depended upon when the creation of the, of the lines was being done. They were made between 500 BC and 500 AD, so that's a thousand years of construction. So you had the Paracas people first. They made the more mi mysterious ones. You have anthropomorphic characters of uh, people with antenna coming out of their heads. Uh, archaeologists agree that the famous astronaut, which is the figure with the hand up in the air, was made by the Paracas. We'll also see the candelabro, which is a, a trident shape, 500 plus feet tall. Um, and what most people don't know is that the Nazca did the famous ones like the hummingbird and the, the monkey, um, the dog, the condor, the most famous ones. But um, they made about probably 25 to 30 of them. But in the area of Palpa, which is in between Paracas and Nazca, there are more than a thousand of them, smaller, but they're much more bizarre. And that's, uh, that's why it's good to take the extended flight and do fly over Palpa as well, because you'll just be in awe and you'll do nothing but click with your camera. I hope you enjoyed the highlights of my interview with Brian Forster. You can find him on YouTube or at hiddenincatours.com for more. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening. And if you're on iTunes, give me a good rating if you enjoyed it. Thanks again for joining me, and until next time, keep exploring.